right, well, we are finishing up Ephesians chapter 6. We've been in these six chapters for, I think, 19 weeks, maybe 20 weeks. That's a long time. We've been doing this for a while, talking about our identity in Christ, all kinds of good stuff. Um, and we're going to finish it out. So we're going to have a five-week break after this. So if you're listening online, um, just know there'll be a bunch of weeks where we take off. And then we'll kick back up in the middle of April. April 18th, I believe, is a Wednesday night as we start walking through um, what it means to be kingdom builders. And we're going to see that, find that in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It's going to be great. Well, tonight we're going to cover... Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. Now, a lot of you are familiar with these passages, or um, uh, if it doesn't register right off the top of your head what they're about, you'll find out pretty quick, and some of it will make sense. I hope this is a game-changing night for a lot of us, because um, so much of my counseling and my discipleship, uh, regardless of age, um, revolves around this. This is what people struggle with. Let me ask you, uh, do you ever feel like you just get a gut punch? Like just the wind taken out of your sails. I mean, physically, you ever feel like you have an ailment that just won't go away? And you're like, this is weird. And it just keeps happening. And you think, maybe this is God's plan. And then you think, maybe this is spiritual a little bit. But you're like, ah, nah, surely it didn't. And you just wonder. Or maybe emotionally. You ever have a friend just betray you kind of out of the blue? Or a spouse leave? Or just constant fighting with people we love? Um, Maybe the atmosphere at work? is just kind of wicked, and you think, gosh, there's something going on. Or maybe spiritually, um, you say, I've got this habitual sin, but I cannot find victory, and I feel so shameful, I feel so discouraged and disheartened, and you don't know what to do. Or maybe you've wanted to be disciplined, and you're like, I do want to follow Jesus, and I want to abide, and I want to be in his word, and I want to talk to him, and I want to hear from him, and I want all the stuff that we talk about, but I just can't do it. And I find that uh, the more I try, the harder it gets. Maybe you're just hopeless. Let me ask you, when you feel that way, what do you do? What do you do? For most of us, we tend to either start questioning and blaming God. God, where were you? God, how could you? Or we start questioning and blaming ourselves. I'm no good. I'm just a horrible person. No wonder this is happening because it's something I did. Let me introduce you to a third party. Satan, demons, and evil. And we talk about it, but some of us don't know much about it. You see, the world looks at the devil and makes it into a cartoon. It's silly. It's a Hollywood figurine. We say there's, there's a good angel on one shoulder, there's a bad angel on the other, and you listen to him and you go back and forth and it's cutesy. Or we just see this picture of this kind of chubby, weird um, creature thing that's red and it's got horns and this goatee and, and it's supposed to be the devil. And we think, oh, that's kind of cute, kind of weird, um, but it's just there. The church says, well, we believe that there's a devil. We believe there's evil. We believe in demons, but we don't see it as personal in the sense that we're like, yeah, we know big picture it's out there because it's in the Bible. Can't say I disagree with it because the gospel wouldn't mean much if there wasn't something to overcome. But I don't think I deal with any of that. And people who talk about spiritual stuff and demons and jumping out behind bushes just creep me out. So I don't want to go to that kind of church. I want to go to the church that just talks about Christian living and, and, and practical things that I can do to make my life better. All the while, not realizing the devil's sitting back, stirring the pot making us question and blame God or look in the mirror and point the finger and say, you're no good. And he's saying, this is exactly how I like it. Nobody needs to know I'm here. You don't need to acknowledge me, but I'm going to tear your world up. And so as Christians, we got to know we're part of a battle. We're part of a battle. The church isn't, it's not a cruise ship. It's not an all-inclusive resort where you come to get fed and fed and fed and people are here to serve you and you paid your dues and so you get, get, get. No, sooner or later you realize the Christian life is not, it's not a playground, it's a battlefield. And this is war. And for some of us, tonight might explain a lot. It might explain a lot. And so, let's jump in. The theme tonight is that I am victorious. If you are in Christ, regardless of whether you feel like you're gut-punched daily by the old devil, you have victory because it's been done 2,000 years ago on a cross. You have been sealed as victorious. And now you get to choose, am I going to walk in it? 
because there's a battle. So you got to know your enemy, you got to know your king, and you got to know your weapons. Because if you're going to be in battle, you got to know those three things, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Let's read all of these verses together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, so after all that good stuff, finally, if you could say one last thing to people you love, what would you tell them? What would your finally be? I'll tell you everything that I want you to know about God, everything you need to know about God, but I'm going to cap it off with this because it's a really big deal. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Remember, chapters 4 through 6, walk, 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 stand, 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 stand. It's all practical. Use the same imagery all the way through. Stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. It's getting weird. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. In what kind of circumstances? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So someone's attacking you. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Remember, Paul's in prison. Some believe he might have been chained to a Roman soldier, so warfare imagery makes a lot of sense that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. And peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All right, let's jump on in. First thing we see is you got to know your enemy. Who's your enemy? You got to know your enemy. If you don't know your enemy, you're going to be ambushed. It's not going to be good. This is why in America, particularly, we we talk about two wars that have been very, 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 very difficult for soldiers to know who their enemy is. Vietnam and the Middle East. Because you can't tell because of forest where your enemy is or who they're going to be. And then when you get over to the Middle East, they've found uh, in the last 20 years that, that it's difficult because kids and, and, and women and, and all kinds of people who you think they're just normal villagers and they're actually the enemy. And they say it's so, it's so hard because you can be walking with the enemy and you don't even know the enemy is right next to you. So you got to know there is an enemy. So... Welcome to spiritual warfare. We saw this. Um, we saw it in a lot of different ways uh, as we've gone from context to context. In Virginia, we saw it in tradition. Um, we saw it in complacency. Old, old churches who were used to doing the same things, and they just couldn't get out of ruts. And we saw spiritual warfare all over. When we were in Utah, um, we saw it very in-your-face, aggressive, people who didn't know much about God knew there were, there were evil things happening in the community. One in every eight days, there would be a suicide murder, one of the highest rates in the nation where we were in the desert. People knew it. And then we came back to the Midwest. We said, oh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of spiritual warfare, not a lot of demons jumping out behind pulpits, except if you don't like your pastor, you might call them one. But you find that apathy and complacency and just this numbness and this eh, let's just get comfortable let's just stay this way forever is a form of spiritual warfare and so you might not see it in your life but you need to know it is in your life and there's an enemy for all the good that god wants for you the devil wants evil against you he hates you it's war it's war paul says in verse 12 that, that we 
do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but he says wrestle. This idea that you're not standing in the grandstands, you're not sitting far away, you're in hand-to-hand combat. You are wrestling with an enemy. Does it feel that way? Do you feel exhausted? You know, if you play sports, um, you'll notice track and field, they got to run a lot. A lot of working. It's hard. I wouldn't want to be a, a track star. I couldn't be a track star. It'd be difficult. Basketball, football, volleyball, lots of exercise. But you know who really has the worst workouts of all? Wrestlers. Their diets. Their, their, their training. It's, it's just above and beyond. It's through the roof. Why? Because it's exhausting. You ever see a boxing match or some kind of um, MMA or something like that where you think, man, they got like three, five, ten minute rounds. Isn't that kind of like this kind of wimpy? Like it seems like that's just like not very much. Why can't they go a little longer? Because they get exhausted incredibly quick. Do you feel that way? Do you feel worn out right now? You feel like you're going back and forth with something and you don't know if it's yourself, God, or something else. It's exhausting. It's hard. That's why ministry is hard. People, they don't, they don't, um, <laughs> they don't come up and, and say, Pastor, can I pray for you? Because they think that the organizational um, work is more difficult than anything you'd face in the secular world. They know when you're standing in the gap, when you're praying, when you're ministering, when you are fighting for the kingdom of God to expand in the hearts of the people and the city, it exhausts you because you don't really ever take off. It's not nine to five. There's no union. It's exhausting. But here's the thing. Our culture doesn't speak in terms like this about the devil or about uh, an enemy because we have reduced Christianity down. We've reduced God down in the evangelical church to a life coach who's here to give us some tips, a few tricks, and a bunch of blessings. And we need to understand as the church, we're part of a war where we don't, God doesn't exist to bless you. We exist to serve him. And this is war. It's a battlefield. And every time that you give a piece of your life to God, every time you put money in the offering and you feel the sacrifice, every time you volunteer, every time you want to share your faith with a coworker, the devil hates it. Every step of obedience, the reason it's hard is because you're fighting against not only your sinful desires, but the enemy saying, no, don't expand the kingdom. I ask kids at baptism, when they get baptized, I, I say, Now, do you think after getting baptized, um, it's going to be easier or harder to follow Jesus? You know what they say more times than not? They say harder. I would think a little kid would say, probably easier. Once I'm baptized, I'm done, right? Like that's that's the mindset. But they know it's harder. Because the more you want to expand the kingdom, the more shots you're going to get fired from the enemy. So, who the enemy is not. Let's talk about that. Paul says in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People, how many times have you been angry at someone? They left you. They hurt you. They rejected you. And so you think, it's you. It's you. It's you. We want to blame each other. The devil wants us to point fingers at each other. How many times have you seen disunity in the church and thought, oh, why is this happening? It doesn't make sense. Like this is the place where we're supposed to be unified. But we get angry at each other. We blame each other. For little things, the color of the carpet, the paint on the walls. We think, how did it get this way? Because the devil wants you to believe that the fight is against people. It's not against people. It's not against people. It's way deeper than that. You see, here's what the Bible says about people. When it comes to non-Christians, the Bible calls non-Christians captives. The Bible calls Satan the captor, and the Bible says that Jesus came to set who free? The captives free. The the people aren't the problem. The people are slaves. They're either slaves to sin and and the devil. And as Paul says in Ephesians, our father's the devil. Don't you know that you were once slaves? You You were once under his power, or you're under God's. There's no in between, there's no gray area. But even as a Christian, the enemy doesn't want to give you up. He wants you to be a captive. 
He wants to get you in habitual sin. He wants to keep you in a place where you can relate to other Christians based on your sinfulness and brokenness and reduce church down to an AA meeting where we all say, I've got problems, but nobody's got victory. We, we got victory. We got victory in Christ. I can tell you guys are as pumped up as I am. This is good. This is good. So, the enemy is not people. It's not your mama. It's not your dad. It's not the people who have done you wrong. It's against the devil. Now, it says against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil. This is ultimately several different ways. Four ways of saying the devil and demons and evil. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the spiritual realm. You can call them rulers. You can call them authorities. You can call it cosmic powers. You can call it spiritual forces. He's just saying there's stuff going on. You don't believe me? Read, just for fun, go back and read uh, Daniel chapter 10. Just go scribble that down and go read it. If you want to kind of trip yourself out a little bit about what's happening behind the scenes, you'll find there is a war going on between um, good angels and, and demons. So let's talk about who your enemy is. Who is Satan? Here, here's, there's a bunch of stuff that he is, but here's six things um, that we know from Scripture. Number one, he's created. He's not the creator. Some people, when they think of the devil, they think, well, here's God and here's the devil, and they're equally as powerful. And that basically, um, anything God can do, the devil can do. And so this is just a good versus evil kind of karma world, and, and that's not true at all. God is God. God is eternal. God is uh, omniscient. He knows everything. He's uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He, he is all-knowing. And the devil's not. The devil can't be everywhere at once. You say, how does he get all this work done? He's got a lot of helpers. <laughs> He's got demons. Scripture says a third of the angels in heaven fell with Satan. And they've got some authority on earth. But he's a created being. He's not God. So he can't read your mind. He, he can't control you unless you give him authority to control you. That's good news. Number two, he's a spiritual being. Some say, well, why don't you just put angel? Well, because the Bible doesn't explicitly say Satan is an angel. But in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 4, and Jude chapter 1, verse 6, it does allude to um, Satan and the angels. And so many assume that Satan was, is, is an archangel with uh, Gabriel and Michael. And here's what we know. He's a spiritual being. He's part of the heavenly host. And so whether he's an angel or something else, Revelation mentions him as a cherubim. In the likeness of this spiritual being, we, we know he's not God. He's not man. He's some, something else. Number three, he's fallen. He's fallen, meaning he had pride. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, that, that Satan wanted to put himself on a throne higher than God. There's not tons and tons of stuff that, in Scripture telling us what happened um, with Satan and how he fell from heaven. But there's a little bit, and Isaiah 14 is one of those. And so it, it says that he wanted to ascend. He was prideful. That was the ultimate sin of the devil. And you say, when did all this happen? Well, sometime after God created everything, day six, and the serpent in Genesis 3. So at some point, God gave angels free will. God gave angels the ability to choose him and to sin. And we see that two-thirds of the angels did not. One-third of the angels, we call them demons. So fallen angels are, are demons. And uh, Satan, they were all cast out of heaven. And so they roam. They roam. But they're fallen. They're not going back up. They were created. Remember, all things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. So for those of you who say, why, well, why, why doesn't God just get rid of Satan? Well, he's got a plan. <laughs> Don't worry. But why he has some authority on earth? Keep in mind, all things were created for his glory. And, and so even Satan and, 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 and demons and the havoc that they wreak on earth, God, through his... Um, showing perseverance in the saints and his patience with humanity is still being glorified. Is it the way we would have drawn it up? Maybe not. But God is God and we're not. Amen, that's good. Um, number four, he's powerful. He's really powerful. 
So he's called a ruler. He's called uh, a prince of the air. He's got some power on earth. Um, keep in mind, some of us think, man, he's, he's, I, don't, I don't know that he's that powerful. Remember the book of Job? When Satan asked God to sift Job? Well, God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, sure, let's do this thing. And what, did, what, what all did he um, take from Job? Everything, yeah. He wrecked this dude's world. Satan's got a ton of power. Ton of power. So, don't underestimate. How many times in Jesus' ministry did he, did he come across demonic people? People who were filled with demonic influence, demonic beings, and they had power. They had physical strength. They had all kinds of power. And every, no one knew what to do, but Christ cast them out. Disciples were scared of them. People were scared of them. So maybe this guy, he just sits in the tombs. Superhuman type of strength. Number five, he's got some attributes. He's got a reputation. Here's, here's a bunch of things that the Bible says about Satan. It says that he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser of the saints. That's me and you. He's a murderer. He's the author of confusion. The father of lies. He, he masquerades as an angel of light. So when you think, oh, if I just see evil stuff, I'll know it's the devil. Well, when you see people, <laughs> when, you see, when you see things that, that look like really good, healthy things, you're like, is this a good teaching? It feels like it's a good teaching. That person seems so nice. Joseph Smith, crazy lifestyle. Mormonisms, Mormonism teaches this, this pure lifestyle. There's this just kind of purity about it. Um, and you say, how could that be evil? <coughs> Satan masquerades as an angel of light. A whole bunch of things he's known for. None of them good. You don't want to get to know him very well. And number six, he's at work. Peter tells us that he is roaming around like a roaring lion. He's called a serpent, a dragon in Revelation, a lion, all powerful things. So what do you do? What do you do with the enemy? Here's a few things. Number one, don't make too much of them or too little. Some people make too much uh, of the devil. You sometimes, depending on your church background, um, you'll see folks who are like, oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, that devil, he's working on me today. Oh, that devil, he's doing this. Oh, that devil is doing me. Some of us talk more about the devil than we do about God. <laughs> and you can exalt um, a fear of the enemy more than you s- proclaim or praise the victory that comes in Christ. <coughs> And you've got to be careful that you don't make too much of the devil. You need to know about him, but you don't need to be talking about him all the time. And on the flip side, don't make too little of him. If you ignore him, well, that's what he loves because he's still going to work. And he doesn't want anyone to know or give him credit for the bad things he's doing. Because he doesn't want to be found out. He likes it. And number two, you've got to take responsibility for your sin. Remember, the devil, the devil isn't going to make you sin. The devil can tempt you. The devil can create environments for you to sin. The devil knows mankind, knows humanity. He's been studying us for a few thousand years. But keep in mind, you have to take responsibility for your sin. You have the first Adam in you. You have uh, the original humanity that's broken. And, and, and so you have fleshly desires. And you live in a world that's set up with systems and, and society that opposes God. So you have external things that aren't very good for you. You got internal things that ain't very good for you. But you got the devil who wants to work both of them for uh, his glory and for your sin. But you ultimately have to take responsibility for your own mistakes. You can't blame the devil for everything and pretend that we don't have any responsibility or accountability. Number three, you've got to know his defeat and his destination. This is a battle, um, but the war has been won. Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago defeated uh, the enemy and took away his greatest weapons of death and sin. Because Jesus died for our sins, our past sins, and the punishment form, the power of current sin, you can have victory and the presence ultimately of all sin because you're going to be in heaven with God and there won't be sin and death. We're all going to die physically, but some of us are living eternally through Christ. If your faith is in him, that's really good news. And you've got to understand, 
as exhausted as you might feel on earth right now, one day this is going to be over. God has a plan, and the devil will not um, have the authority and the power that he does right now forever. And so keep that in mind. And last but not least, you've got to be alert. This is what scripture tells us to do. Be alert and put on the armor of God. Put on your armor. Number two, you got to know your king. So number one, you got to know your enemy. And number two, you got to know your king. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong. Be strong. Here's what he's saying. You don't have, you don't have inherent power to defeat the enemy's schemes. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You can't withstand. You can't, you can't coast in the Christian life and pretend that you're going to walk in victory. You can't view all the stuff that your preacher tells you as optional. You can't say, well, there's some things on this buffet of Christianity that I think I'll, uh, when I'm hungry for, tap into. I'll, I'll serve the Lord in some ways. I'll, I'll, I'll give to the Lord. I'll do these things. But at different times in my life, as I feel comfortable in doing them, no, you've got to recognize. You've got to recognize they're not optional. You don't have the strength. Christ has the inherent strength. The Spirit of God has inherent strength. The Word of God gives you strength, but a relationship with Jesus is not optional. In His might, in the strength of His might, here's the good news. This battle, it's not yours. Like You're, you're a pawn. You're part of it. You partake in it, whether you want to or not. But ultimately, it's Jesus. And this should give us great comfort because Jesus' reputation is on the line. And whatever the Father's given him to do, he doesn't fail at. He never fails at it. And so your job is to stand firm and to abide in Christ as we press forth the kingdom of God. But we can't grow the church, and we can't make this thing fail. Trust me, 2,000 years of people (laughs) screwing up. If the church was going to fail, it'd be over by now. But Jesus is in control. It's in his might, by his strength. Some of us, man, we're exhausted. We're exhausted right now because we know about this battle and we know about what I'm talking about, but, but we've been walking in our own strength. We've been abiding in our own strength. Some of us say, I'm just not disciplined. I can't get into the word of God. I want to abide in Jesus. I want to obey, but eh, there's just a lot going on. This is war. This is war. And the only confidence soldiers have when they're in battle and they feel insecure and they feel like, I can't do this, I want to run, I'm on the front line and I just want to run, is their king saying, this is what we're doing, this is how we're going to do it, and I got you. Trust in my plan. We, um, we live in a culture that values independence more than dependence. We see independence as a virtue, we see dependence as a flaw, as a weakness. And so it goes against the heart of the gospel. Even, I find, even in, in parenting, I've shared with you a million il- illustrations uh, of Silas and um, little silly things that he does. And one thing, you know, I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, he does on a regular basis is during his quiet time in the afternoon, he'll get all his toys out down in the basement and he'll um, get his books out. And he had all his books everywhere. And, and, and I, we told him, um, we yelled down the stairs and said, Sai, before you come up for supper, you gotta, you got to pick up all your books. And he whined and he whined and he whined. He said, I could not do it. I can't do it. After we kind of went back and forth for like 15 minutes, um, we, we called down. We said, how many books have you put up? And he said, one. <laughs> he said, one. One book in 15 minutes. He's just laying in this pile of books that were everywhere. He just couldn't, and he couldn't do it. He's back there laughing right now because he knows. He knows his sins. And he, he kept calling for us. He wanted us to come down with him. And I thought, gosh, buddy, you got to grow up. You got to do this. You got to be independent, man. I can't be bailing you out of everything. And so I told him, I said, I'm not going to help you. But I came down and I sat with him. And I encouraged him. And I gave him some steps to take. And I told him how we could, we could do this thing. And, and slowly but surely, he started to be hopeful. 
he started to have a renewed energy and renewed strength. And he put a few books up and then a few more books up. Then he went around, even said, I got some books back here you didn't even know about. I'm like, yeah, are you kidding me, man? They're under his bed. They're everywhere. And he started putting them all up. And I was telling him, here's some tips. Here's some things to do. And he did it. And he was so excited at the end. But me being with him made all the difference. And that's our relationship with God. This battle will wear you out if you try to do it alone. But this is the blessing of everything on earth. We are practicing, preparing for an eternity with God in his presence. This is why we repent of sin. There will be no sin. This is why we abide in his presence. We will only be in his presence. This is why we do what we do on earth for Christ, in Christ, because one day it's the only thing we're going to be doing when we're with him. And even the battles and the exhaustion and the spiritual warfare we experience is one more opportunity for you to press into God on earth. How familiar are you with the Holy Spirit? You're going to have to lean on his power, get acquainted with him. Baptists don't like talking about the Holy Spirit. We need to talk more about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to you to live in you, to teach you, to comfort you, to guide you, to train you. If you don't know much about the Holy Spirit, that tells you everything you need to know about whose strength you've been walking in. If you ain't even familiar with him, you've probably been trying to do this on your own. Last but not least, you got to know your armor. So you got to know your enemy. You got to know your king. You got to know your armor. Let's walk through this. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, not just a little bit, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. What's the evil day? Every day the devil's been working on you. It's an evil day. The, the, the days are evil, as Scripture says. And having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. First thing we see is the belt of truth. The devil lies. He's the father of lies. To lie, we have watered down, we've made it seem like it's not such a bad thing to tell a lie or to not tell all of the truth, which is a lie. It's demonic. It's evil. It has a source. It goes against the very nature of God. God is truth. To lie is to say, I want to be completely separated from God. It's manipulative. It's darkness. And the devil lives in it. John 8 says that Satan is the father of lies. And lies have power when believed, don't they? Like if your doctor called you up after you had a biopsy um, and said, hey, I uh, just want to let you know you got cancer. Even if it wasn't true, would that not change your week? If someone that works with your spouse called you up and says, hey, you know I work with your spouse, I just want to let you know they, they, got, um, they got someone else they're seeing. They've been committing adultery. Even if that was a lie, would that not rock your world? Lies have power when believed. And in Genesis 3, we see that lies affect all of us as we see Adam and Eve buying into the lies of the serpent and the fall of humanity. But Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Some of you are worn out. If we could spend days on this one thing, I'm telling you, days on this one thing, some, I, I can almost guarantee you every single one of you would be transformed if you took this one serious. The spiritual warfare the vast majority of the people in this room and online are going to be experiencing come from believing lies. Like, okay, here's a practice. Here's some homework for you. I want you to look through your life. You can look through the last week, two weeks, month, your whole life if you want to, and, and you can think of all the accusations that have ever come against you, things that people have said, They've identified you as, well, you're this, and you're this, and you're not this. Or things that you've said to yourself. Keep in mind, there's a real fine line between negative self-talk <laughs> and um, slander from the devil. He can't read your mind, but if you find yourself um, saying in your mind, you, you, you. Who's saying, who, who's saying you? <laughs> The accuser of the saints is lying to you. He knows your insecurities and he feeds off of them. 
And so if you say, I'm going to just think about all these accusations and you take a piece of paper out and you got two columns and you split it down the middle and on one column you say lies and on the other column you say truth and you go through each accusation and write down, is this a lie or is this truth? You dig into scripture and you find out what truth is, what truth says about it. And then at the very end, you got a question for each accusation that you got to ask yourself. Am I going to live in light of a lie or in light of the truth? Because some of you have been told that you've been believing lies. You want to know half of the reason why I chose to walk through Ephesians for 19 weeks with you all? is because so much of the discipleship and counseling that I do revolves around people not knowing their identity in Christ because they believe lies from the devil as to who they are. And you're going to find this. Some of you, this is maybe the best thing that you're going to hear tonight. There's two ways to live, Christian or not. There's two ways for you to live when it comes to acknowledging the truth. And, And those two ways start with these two different statements. Number one, I feel Verses number two, God says. You got a lie and you want to set that deep rooted in your heart? Let it mess with your emotions. Let it it meditate on that thing and let it take root. And you'll find this, that what you believe lie-wise, you will feel emotion-wise. Someone says something to you that's a lie and you feel that in your emotions. And some of us say, well, I know, Pastor, but I feel like I'm just... Not good enough. I feel like I'm not worthy. I feel like no one should love me. I feel like God hates me. I feel like God's against me. We don't live that way. You're in control of your emotions. And what you feel isn't necessarily true. But if you choose to say, okay, I know what I feel, but I also know what God says. And every one of us, we don't have to go searching for lies. There's plenty of lies out there, but we've got to dig into truth to know what truth is. Some of us know lies very well, but we don't know what the truth actually is. Number two. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. For those of you who need belts, you know it holds everything up. The older you get, the more out of shape you get. It holds everything up. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's talk about that. What is the breastplate of righteousness? This is something that's going to guard your heart. You see, Satan loves to tempt us. And more than that, Satan loves to make us believe that the temptation itself is the lie. So you've already lost because you've already been unholy just by experiencing temptation. You need to know temptation isn't the sin. Falling into the sin, committing the sin, walking in the sin is sin, but the temptation isn't. Remember, What's his first encounter? What's Satan's first encounter with Eve? Temptation. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, very early on, temptation. He wants to tempt you. He wants to tempt you. Why? Because if he can make you live in an unholy way, if he can make you live in a lack of righteousness, then he knows he can make you feel shameful, He can make you discouraged. He can make you hopeless. He can make you start to believe all those lies that God doesn't love you. God doesn't want you. God hates you. God despises you. He's holy. You're different than him. And the gap widens and you feel more and more separated from God. And when you get isolated, that's what the devil wants. He wants you isolated. Then he can beat you down. And he knows. There's two types of righteousness in the life of a believer. There's practical righteousness and positional righteousness. Positional is the fact that Jesus is fully righteous. He died on the cross and he exchanges his righteousness for our sin. We call this the great exchange. And you have righteousness in Christ. If your faith is in his life, death, resurrection, you don't get to choose it. You can't screw it up. He gives it to you. Amen. Amen. On your worst day, you have positional righteousness in Christ. On your best day, you can't earn positional righteousness in Christ. But what you get to choose is empowered by the Holy Spirit, fed by the Word of God, practical righteousness. Are you going to walk and reflect the righteousness that you have by position in Christ? 
And the more that you choose not to walk in it, the more the devil's going to say, I got more against you, more against you, more against you, and beat you down. So when you put the breastplate of righteousness on, you're guarding your heart against temptation. You're guarding your heart against walking in an unholy manner. And the devil ain't got much against you. Some of us, we feel hopeless because we are in bondage from habitual sin, but you need to know there's victory in Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers you. Number three, let's talk about the boots of the gospel in verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Why shoes? Why boots? Because ultimately, you've got to be ready to move the gospel the good news that we have peace between us and God uh, into dark places. When I was in school to be a firefighter, um, from like day one, we started a practice and we had to do it all the time. It was kind of like military stuff. Um, we would don and doff is what we called it. I don't know why, but that's what they do, where we'd have to put on all of our equipment. So you got boots, you got suspenders, you got all this stuff, you got your mask, you got all the stuff the firefighters have. And you had to be able to do this by the end of the semester. You had to be able to do it in 60 seconds. So don it, put it on. Doff, take it all off. Both in 60 seconds. Why? Because you got to be ready at all times. You're sleeping in the middle of the night? You're a firefighter? Fires don't care. <laughs> you can come whenever. You got to be able to put that on whenever. Let me ask you this. When does, t- when does Satan tempt you the most? When does he attack you the most? When you least expect it, usually. How many of you feel great? Like you're listening. Oh, we're listening to the sermon. The sermon's going to be over soon. I'm going to feel kind of okay. I'm going to try to take one or two things. Ryan's kind of loud, kind of annoying, but this will be done. And then I can go on. And man, things are good. And you feel good driving home. But then you start looking at Netflix. You start eating your food. You start relaxing during the day. And you start feeling temptation start hitting you. And you start thinking thoughts that you didn't want to think. And you start feeling certain ways that you don't want to feel. And you find that when you get comfortable, Satan attacks. You're like, man, I felt great two hours ago. I was on a spiritual high. Satan says, just put your guard down and wait till I hit. Say, oh, I don't want to gossip at work. But you get home, you start talking to your spouse, and you're like, oh, I could unload on you. Before you know it, you're gossiping with your spouse. Don't don't be confused when bad things happen. Expect warfare. Number four, shield of faith. Verse 16 says, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, keep in mind, here's what Roman soldiers would do. They'd have a, they'd have a, they'd have a, a shield that was about two and a half by four feet um, in diameter. And this thing would have leather on the front of it. And so flaming darts would hit it and not spread. But it would have uh, the ability to interlock. And so this wasn't just uh, an imagery for you personally. This is you linking arms with other Christians and walking in faith, being able to, to say, okay, soldiers can kneel down. They can put their shields together and they can create a barrier that protects not just one, but the whole unit. This is why when you go to grow group, this is why you, you encourage people by faith. You walk in faith, not alone in isolation, but with the church. Now, here's the big idea. If you're going to be, um, if, if this is 2,000 years ago, you're in some primitive warfare, and you think, man, we're going to shoot this arrow way over there, the chances of it hitting someone in the right spot, a sharp, quick pain, it's going to be probably slim. But what if we light this thing on fire? <laughs> like, you picture that guy. We always have that, that college roommate, that weird guy who just likes to light everything on fire. You can picture going out, like, we're going to practice archery today. And then little Joe Bob comes in, and he's like, what if we light this thing on fire? Wouldn't that be awesome? You're like, stop it. Wait. <laughs> this could work. See, what happens, you, you can have one sharp, quick pain, or you can light that thing on fire and try to spread the environment and the disaster that goes with it. And ultimately, you'll have an environment that's suffocating. Here's what happens. Satan wants to shoot you with darts, with arrows. He will haunt you with past regrets. He has arrows of sharp pain that is the sin, but then the fire he sends with that arrow is the constant reminder of its destruction. You get divorced, mm, you feel the pain of that divorce, but he wants to create an environment, that fire that spreads all around where you're reminded constantly of the mistakes. Man, I messed my kid's life up. 
man, I can't do, I'm not good enough. No one wants to be married to me. I'm, I, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. And so the constant reminder, do you feel that? Do you ever think that? That's the fire from the darts. It says there's a shield of faith that you can put up so that it hits it and it extinguishes it. That you can say, you know what? I'm going to trust the promises of God and I'm going to trust the word of God because God says something about me. He doesn't like my divorce. He doesn't like my sin. But he paid the price for it. I'll just share this real quick. I, I just had a, my soul was just torn up in this conversation. I had a conversation one time with a gal who um, in the Catholic church couldn't take communion um, because she had been divorced. And she was angry. Why can't I take communion? And so she said the first time she came with her little boys after she got divorced, and they went up there to take communion, and, um, and, and the priest made her not go. Well, the little boys did. And she had to explain to her little boys why she couldn't now, no longer, she could no longer partake in communion. And it was such a sacred thing for her. And she taught her boys about it. She even taught classes on it. Now she couldn't partake in it. She was asking me questions about it. And I said, you need to understand. You've got to understand. That the communion, the Lord's Supper, the whole point of it is to symbolically remind us that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, that his body paid the price. You don't need to pay the price by standing aside and saying, I can't do this anymore. What good is communion to begin with? What kind of reminder is that? That's literally the exact opposite of communion. Communion is the shield of faith. It's the thing that you're saying, I know I've made mistakes, but I'm taking the Lord's Supper because I trust Jesus paid the price for my mistakes, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, so that I can walk in a new covenant. Like my heart broke for her. Number five, the helmet of salvation, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Any football players? Anybody ever play football? Silas has got his hand up. He's the only one. He's only four. Some of you need... You wear helmets. Why do you wear helmets? Protection. Why? Because you get hit hard. What happens when you get hit really hard in the head? It hurts. And you get confused. You ever had a concussion? Start seeing crazy things and you're like, oh man, I'm just confused. Your head is just swirling. This is what the devil wants to do. He wants to lead you into confusion. He wants to send false teachers into the church. He wants everyone to have a podcast that shouldn't have a podcast. He wants everyone to be on TV that should not be preaching on TV. He wants to muddy the waters of sound doctrine and good theology so that you start to question your salvation in the true gospel and find a false sense of security in a false gospel. And so he has lots of false gospels with lots of false teachers, and he wants you to be very insecure. You need to know that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And Jesus loses none that the Father gives him. We have a lot of insecure Christians who don't know if they're saved or not. Jesus' Jesus' death is more powerful than your sin. Number six, the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's your weapon. Genesis 3, first spiritual warfare. What did Satan say? He said, did God really say that? Did God really say that? You ever, you ever have that? You ever feel like God is talking to you? You read the word of God, you have something preached, and you're like, man, that's what it says. I feel good. But then a couple hours later, you're like, man, do I really need to do that? Did God really say that? Do I really need to ask for forgiveness? Do I really need to go talk to that person? Do I really need to deal with these hard issues? Did God really want me to serve? Did God really want me to give? Was I just feeling kind of emotional in the moment? You just go on and on and on. Did God really say that? How many times has God convicted you of something, spoken clearly to you, and then you didn't respond in obedience because you started to question it? And as each day passed, you were further and further and further from obedience. The quickest way to lose this battle is to neglect Scripture. If there was only one thing, one thing, if I had one thing left to tell you about Christian living for the rest of your life, I'd say get into the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God. Make it a priority. 
I was talking to, I was talking to a guy the other day. I said, How, how's your walk with Jesus? Are you in the Word of God? How's it going? Are you learning? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty disciplined, except when my marriage starts to fall apart, and then I'm not very disciplined. Whoa, 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 what? I said, do you see spiritual warfare in that? You see, like, that's when you need it the most. You say, man, I'm not very disciplined. I'm going to commit to two weeks. 7 a.m., I'm going to get into the Word of God. Guess what? 7 a.m. for two weeks, you're going to get phone calls. You're going to get emails. You're going to get sick. You're going to get weird things happen to you that never happened at 7 a.m., Because the devil doesn't want you to get in the word of God. But you know that, and so you walk aware of it, alert of it. We live, we have such, man, I ain't got much time, but I got to say some stuff. We, We have such an insecure evangelical culture. This is crazy. This is so crazy to me what I'm going to say. We have, we have more Bibles than any time in history. Every one of you probably has a Bible at home. How many of you got two Bibles? Three Bibles? Four Bibles? If you got a phone, if you got internet, you got zillions of Bibles. We all got Bibles. And yet we have created this culture that doesn't find security <coughs> in, the, in the word of God. And we have created this super, this hyper spirituality that requires you to have the spiritual experience of hearing from God in a way that makes you super evangelical. And we have made this the standard. And so we got a whole generation of Christians who come up and they're reading the Bible. They bring their Bible to church. And then when the pastor or when a friend or someone asks them, hey, have you been talking to God lately? Yeah. You've been hearing from God lately? No. <clears throat> no. I don't think I don't think I've been hearing from God lately. What do you mean? You got your Bible in your hand. <coughs> well, I've just been asking God some questions and I, I just don't feel like I've been hearing from him. You've got the Bible in your hand. You don't have to have some false sense. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm choking. I'm choking on myself. <coughs> This false idea that you need to hear from God in special ways that are not his word. Every single time, okay, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Guess what? Everyone in the room just heard the word of God. You heard from God. Congratulations. Yes. (coughs) You don't have to question it. You don't have to doubt it. Every time you open this book, God speaks to you. We need to, we need to take solace in that and quit freaking out that we don't hear something super spiritual when he has put his very word in front of our face. Don't disregard this and find yourself in some charismatic movement where you've got to hear in a way that God's saying, you're looking for me in places that I'm not and you're neglecting me with the very thing I gave you. Praying in the Spirit. Moving on. Just so you know, we're going to rifle through the last five or six verses in case some of you are like, he is not going to finish this in time. We'll get there. Don't freak out. I've I've done this a couple times. Number seven, praying in the Spirit. Verse 18, praying at all times in... (coughs) Excuse me, i got a tickle in my throat. With all prayer and supplication. So to be praying in the spirit, what does this mean? What happens in battle when armies don't communicate? It's not good. It's chaos. In the heat of battle, communication is key with headquarters. You got to know, okay, this is what's happening, God, and I need to listen to you. You got the resources, you got the uh, understanding, you got everything. I need to listen, I need to listen, I need to listen. How's your prayer life? Are you talking to God? Do you find yourself spending time listening? I just told you, you don't, have to, you don't have to find all these super duper spiritual ways to listen. But at the same time, God speaks in prayer. But so many times we, we don't want to listen. We don't take time to listen. We unload information on him, but we don't receive information from him. You see, other religions, they don't pray in the spirit because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They pray in their own strength. They pray in a spirit, but it's not God's spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? In Romans 8, it says that we have the Holy Spirit in us, and the Holy Spirit prays for us in ways that we don't even understand sometimes. You're praying prayers that you don't even know sometimes. Sometimes we're praying selfish prayers, and God's praying holy prayers through us. Let me give you, in the Old Testament, in the temple, there was an altar, right? And there was incense, 
And this incense represented prayer, going up to God continually. And there was a fire, and the fire represented the Holy Spirit. And what would happen is the priests had a very specific um, uh, directions and ingredients for this incense. And so they could not manipulate it. They couldn't change it. And so they would put this incense in, and, and the fire would light it up. And it was this uh, imagery showing that the Spirit of God was offering perfect, holy, pleasing prayers to God. You say, what was that for? Well, it's for when the Spirit of God lives in you. You can recognize that God is praying through you, prayers that you don't even know you're supposed to be praying. The Spirit talks about groaning, groans in Romans 8. But on a practical level, what this means for you and I is God wants us to pray things, lots of things, but he wants us to pray his will. The more you mature, the more you grow, the more you're going to find your prayers going from just selfish prayers even though he wants to hear your heart, even if you are selfish. He wants, to, he wants you to talk to him. But he wants to mature you, and, and pretty soon you'll find yourself starting to pray the word of God back to God. You ever find yourself doing that? You start praying the very things that you read in Scripture back to God, and, and you find yourself praying the will of God, not because you're making it up, but because you're aligning with him and what he's told you. And there's something that just feels Right. And you know, like, hmm, this is, this is appropriate. That's praying in the Spirit. <coughs> it's praying God's will. Last but not least. <coughs> God's saying this, this, this series needs to wrap up. This is, you see, some of you wonder, you say, God, please help the preacher to close this sermon out. And you think, it's not going to happen. But sometimes the Lord gives us coughs and it happens. <laughs> and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Perseverance. Four times Paul says, stand. Soldiers hold their post. They hold their line. How often is our first reaction when conflict happens, when warfare happens, when a battle rages, we want to bail on things. We bail on church when the pastor rebukes us or says something we don't like. We bail on serving when we get busy. How many times do we get busy in life? The first thing we leave is what we volunteer in, what we serve in. We bail on reaching out when uh, things get uncomfortable with our coworkers. We bail on grow groups when there's a little conflict. Isn't that the place where you're supposed to work conflict out? With believers? We stand. Christians don't look for the easy path in life. Because safety and comfort is not the goal. We go hard places and we do hard things in the name of Jesus. And our disposition is to stand, not to bail. Everyone bails. The world bails. But we've got something objective to stand on. The word of God with the spirit of God. Stand. Some of us, we're looking constantly to bail on things. We're looking to leave. We're looking to, to get somewhere comfortable, somewhere exciting in life. And God's saying, you need to stand on me. You know, they say uh, statistically that um, a pastor doesn't really become the pastor of a church until eight years in. It takes eight years in the average church for people to feel like they're comfortable enough with that pastor to really trust them. Why do you think that would be? Because they want to know. Are you going to stand? Are you going to persevere? Are you going to be there? All right, verses 19 through 24. Paul says, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I love it. He's saying, we've got all the spiritual warfare. Your job isn't just to stay there. We need to preach the gospel so the kingdom of God expands. We're on offense too, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may boldly de may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am <clears throat> and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Love that never ends. Love that can't be interrupted. He says pray for grace, pray for peace. Don't be soldiers that turn their weapons on one another. We need grace. This church has had God's grace on it. 
Amen. Pray for peace. You see, everything that you and I do, we've got to stop looking at. I'll say this two times, three times already. I'll say it one last time as optional. Everything we do, serving, loving, praying, walking in faith, they are acts of war. Acts of war against our flesh. They're against the enemy as we press forth the kingdom of God in this city and in our hearts. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. Wars end, and you don't have to fear losing this war. Jesus conquered the enemy on the cross, and Satan is currently a prisoner of war. He's still around, but he lost his primary weapons of sin and death. So, my last word for you as we wrap this series up. When it comes to walking in your identity as victorious, you need to understand we're not, we're not walking in this battle for victory, but from a place of victory. Jesus won. The cross conquered everything. You get that positionally, but you get to walk in it practically. And that might feel like a battle. The enemy doesn't want you to reflect the gospel. But this is what it means for already, not yet. Christ already won the war, but he has not yet expanded his kingdom to everywhere he wants to expand it. So let's proclaim victory. Let's spread the kingdom. Let's pray. Father God,